Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human and non-corporeal listeners. <laughs> Greetings to everyone. You're always all... Is it just a uh, an October thing when you're... Sending uh, greetings to our non-corporeal mem- uh, no, listeners. You know what? I should have sent out a greeting to our spooky listeners because it is Halloween week. <laughs> it is Halloween. Uh, usually at this time in the podcast, I don't grill Ben on who he's greeting, but I do ask him to tell us all about the publications that he's recently written for. So Ben, hit me with that list. You can find my work at Business Insider, at Inside Hook, and Motor Trend. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as Nouveau Magazine. Ben, this week we've got a bunch of cars to talk about, so uh, you want to take it away or should I? I think you should start. I think you're excited. I'm, I'm always excited. I love doing the podcast, man. I love talking to you. Uh, we get to catch you up on all of the happenings in each other's lives. It's cool. So, and I get uh, to pretend to listen. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. You are a very good listener. Um, so this week I've got... Um, I, I got to attend a little track event with BMW and Mini, and I thought that was really important because it was the first time I've the first experience I've had with two pretty important cars, with the BMW 4 Series and the Mini GP uh, Cooper GP, which is a special track-oriented version of the Mini Cooper. I also got to drive a Alpina XB7 as well as the M8 Competition uh, Grand Coupe. So Ben. Would you want to hear in any order at all, or would you, should I just let's start save rambling? the most ridiculous cars for last, uh, and maybe start with that Mini GP because I don't really know anything about it. Okay, neither do I. This is good news. Um, I'll tell you first my experience with with this uh, Mini. It's a um, it's a very wild looking car. It's got this ginormous spoiler uh, hanging off the, the the rear end of it. It also does not have rear seats. Instead, it seems to have what looks like a roll bar uh, taking place of the rear seats. What about a huge and, amp? Is there a big amp there instead? No, no. Is there like what? colored LED lights that pulse with the base? You're all. This is not a Scion, okay? It's not a Nissan Cube. Missed opportunity. <laughs> it is. I know. Like a Soul? I, I remember the Soul used to have that with their LED lighting. Yeah. But you know what? It, I'm not sure if it has our performance. What is it? What Our sound performance enhanced thing? No, no, no. You're, you're getting it all wrong. It's, I'm um, getting it all wrong. All wrong. You're, you're getting it all wrong. It is performance sound pleasure thing, Sammy. Oh, yes. Uh, Shout it, out to Jake who wrote in to uh, tell us that we needed to make uh, performance sound pleasure thing a regular part of our vehicle ratings and evaluations. I couldn't uh, agree more. So, I need to put a post-it of that somewhere near my near our podcast. We need to put a post-it of that somewhere near the engineering department at Mini because <laughs> so far they've failed in the evaluation of that criteria. Yeah. So um, you know what? I'll get the, uh, the the output of this. I will admit I'm a little caught off guard by our whole podcast this week, which is weird because we don't we, – we do this every week, right? Well, we try. It certainly seems like we do it every week. <laughs> Um, but I will say that I drove it on the track, and um, my experience was really, really positive. Um, I, I really do think JCW minis are a lot of fun on the track, and, I've, and I found it hard to believe that this could be um, an upgrade on that. But it turned out to be pretty good. Um, most importantly, I'm not sure that this experience would translate into a very positive streetcar. So I need to make sure that's clear to all of our, our listeners. So it's, you said it's, you, you've already talked about the power difference, right? 
No, I haven't, I haven't even mentioned that how much power has. I have so no idea. So far, the the factors you've mentioned are big wing, no back seats. It's like it's like you're 15 years old and you yeah. come across this car in the parking lot at a Costco, and you're texting your friends about what you can see. <laughs> but I'm now really I want to hear okay, about fine. now I want to hear about what you drove. Okay, so 301 horsepower in this um, two-liter four-cylinder engine. It gets sent to the front wheels, and there's an eight-speed automatic with a locking front differential. That's the powertrain that you need to know about. The brakes are huge. They're these ginormous brakes. I think they're like 14 or 15 inches, 14 inches, and they have big four-piston calipers. And this thing... It, it, it is it's harsh it's extremely responsive it's it's very loud inside the cabin and probably outside as well I, I had the window up so i don't know um and it also has this really weird wide fender like additions to the front and rear um fenders they're like, like these you mean flares kind of they don't look like flares because sometimes the flare seems like attached to the car you know what's funny is I'm looking at a picture of it right now, and the flares have a sticker that says 302 on them. Did, okay, cool. did yours have that sticker? Let me see what my, what number mine was. Well, no, uh, because that's the horsepower, right? No, I don't think mine had that had the same number. I'm seeing others with different numbers. So. Okay, because like I'm just looking at the one that says 302. See, mine says 2870. Okay, because they're made 3,000 of them. Yeah. And I guess that's maybe the number of each individual edition. But for the one I'm looking at says 0302, and it makes me think of the Boss 302, which also had <laughs> yeah, like that true. sticker in almost the same place. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> that's a little weird. Who did it? Who wore it better? Uh, I think the Boss 302. Yeah, yes. probably. So it's a 6200 RPM redline. So again, this is another four cylinder with a low redline. Uh, 5,000 RPM, you're probably... Let me tell you about this turbo lag. Yeah, I'm sure, and max torque. I'm sure there's like a very narrow band. It is, it's got uh, a ton of turbo lag, and then it doesn't really feel all that energetic past, I would say, 5,500 RPM, RPM. So you really like, but but fortunately, it's an automatic. I don't need to worry about the, um, you know, having to manage the transmission myself. There are What a hassle. Yeah, I mean, driving. With a, Who with has the time? <laughs> especially with a peaky engine like that, at least an automatic will do the job for you in that in that regard. I, I read the reason that it has an automatic is because Mini's manual box couldn't handle the torque. Like they didn't have a a front wheel drive transmission that was able to handle. I I, I don't know exactly how much torque it has. Uh, I'm assuming it's like 280, 290 pound feet. But uh, yeah, that was that was the reason for the eight speed. Okay, that makes sense. I guess. Um, one of the things I really do like about this car, though, is that I need, did I tell you that it has the biggest paddle shifters on like a mini? They're, they're, they're like comically large. No, I didn't say that yet. No, the, the big. No. So the, w- say that again. The fenders. I was looking at a picture of the fenders as you were talking about them. And, <laughs> yeah. No, because I'm entranced. The reason I didn't respond is because they don't seem to line up with like the bodywork. I'm, tell- I'm telling you, they're not like. That's why I said they're not like real fender flares because sometimes the fender flares I know are kind of like attached to the fender. This is kind of like separate. It looks like uh, like wings almost. Like I don't know how else to describe it. It's it's almost like someone took a a, a food tray from a cafeteria. You're so mean. No, no. <laughs> Hear me out and cut like a a, yeah, a, a crescent so a crescent through it. And then glued it to the fender. Like, that's the easiest way to describe it. There's even, like, a big gap behind it. 
That's what I'm saying. There's a gap. It's it's so funny. Uh, it is noticeable. That's what makes this car um, really think interesting. Of all the, very... Think of all the road salt and stuff that's going to get caught gonna in that gap. In there? I don't think, like I said, I don't think this car is made to be enjoyed on the road. What I if think a child's made... hand got caught in there and you didn't notice and you just <laughs> drove off? Who's responsible for that? Yeah, that's true. Uh, do you think we should talk to Minnie about that? I don't think Minnie returns our calls. Um, Not anymore. After we just likened its like new new body work to a cafeteria tray. I will say this: it is lighter than a Veloster N, and it's two hundred and sixty six pounds lighter than a Type R. Right. So this is what made me. This is what surprised me. I I saw it and I was like, oh, it's just like a fancy JCW. And then I drove it and I was like, wow, this thing is wild. It is. It makes the Type R and the Veloster N, uh, like, it, it keeps up with that kind of excitement, which is a very big deal, because I, I especially think that over the past few years, we've all been saying Mini has been losing a little bit of their, of their quirkiness, of a little bit of their fun, um, and they're feeling a little bit more BMW-y than before. And now... This is not the case with this, with this very limited edition version of, the, uh, of a Mini. But there so, is something very BMW-esque about this car, and that's the price, Sammy. Um, it is, is $45,000 US. Which is not a mini price. It's a large price. It's a very large price, and certainly more expensive than the Type R or the Veloster N that we mentioned. Yeah. And even more expensive than, than a Golf R. Incidentally, that Golf R, 500 pounds heavier than the Mini GP. Yeah, but the, the Golf R has all-wheel drive, but that can be had with a manual. At least I think that's the Yes, case. it can. And it's the best version of the car. Everyone's like, oh, the DSG is the best version of the car, and it's the fastest. You know what? In a straight line, the DSG Golf R is a lot quicker. But I did a really Everything long, else, yeah. Yeah, I did a really long road trip in a Golf R DSG last summer. Uh, it was about 800 miles. And it's just it's, – it's a great highway car because you don't really have to think about anything. You're just driving and it's, it's fairly disengaging. But the manual version of the Golf R, it's, it's fun. It really rewards you um, even though it's clearly harder to launch. Anyway, that, that's not think, here nor there. With the, with no, the but I, I do want to dis- – I want to bring that up because um, I think there's a lot of elements to performance cars. And straight line speed or that sprint to 0 to 60 – is not a should not always be the defining factor for for a performance vehicle. No, right? and, and and with the more EVs that hit the market, we're going to see zero to sixty become increasingly irrelevant because of the incredible download torque and the or I should say even instant on torque because there's no low. Um, but also the fact that tire technology has advanced to the point where you can really put that power to the ground. Um, I I want to add one more thing about this Mini that made it so interesting is that it has a GP drive mode, which I didn't quite understand until I used it because they told me there's a little toggle that you – like, you know, all these Minis have toggle switches. And I was wondering where the drive modes were for this car if there was a track special one. And there is. They told me it's this GP mode. Shouldn't it it. it always be in that mode? I mean, I'm sorry to be that guy again, but – That's what I say. I don't think you say this off that up. I spent $45,000 on a car. I shouldn't have to push another button to get the full experience. (laughs) The GP mode for the Mini GP. Otherwise, you're just just driving a (laughs) $45,000 Mini. Otherwise, you're just in G mode. And who wants wants that? So the GP mode is not a drive mode exactly, but it's a traction control setting. Um, it it basically relaxes the stability control, and then from there you can further turn off the driver stability control completely. So it's this like in between 
Um, it reminded me a lot of what the BRZ and FRS have because those don't have like adjustable suspension or different like settings for the um, for the the powertrain. It's just like this midway between all everything off and everything on. So it's there... really fun. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, go on. Finish your thought. It's just this really fun mode that r- changed the, the feeling of the car dramatically. My question to is, is there a button that lets those TV trays and the front fold out like little winglets? Like um, little dive planes? And so they're not so much fender flares as they are lift-canceling lift devices? I am, I'm not certain. I'll say no for now. But I think it can be done probably through the aftermarket, right? Or is it like a Volvo thing where you have to manually do it yourself? <laughs> yeah, like the Volvo Olean stampers. Olean, Olean um, fender flares. Fender flares, yes. So There's a that- storage space in the back seat for the, for the fender flares in the, in the Volvo version of this, <laughs> the Volvo GP. So I'll say um, I was really impressed with this vehicle on the track. However, I do not think it will be um, that impressive on the road. Uh, being that stiff, being that loud, being uh, as unengaging without that uh, manual transmission, I think there's a few compromises and the fact that it's so expensive. Then again, it is a limited edition vehicle and many enthusiasts um, really go nuts for some of these special edition uh, cars. So I think it'll it'll hit that segment, that market really well, but probably won't bring anyone from a potential Type R or, or Veloster end purchase. Now, I also wanted to mention, I'm not sure if we mentioned this earlier, but the engine that's in this vehicle, it is the same one you can get in the M235 Grand Coupe. Okay. I also think it's the same one that is in the uh, Mini Countryman, uh, JCW. Okay. I think that's the same thing. With, with higher boost. Yeah. Okay. Um, another car I got to drive for the first time was the BMW M440i. Um, it's an X-Drive model, and I need to bring up I need to bring up this car because the very first thing anybody will say when they see the new BMW 4 Series is, "Eel, will you look at that grill?" Right? You've seen this thing. It has the biggest, gnarliest front end grill that you've you've ever seen, and they have like this really vertical. Um, element to the kidney grills, which is a whole new take on the on the BMW design, and nothing, I don't think nothing people says are... luxury to me like vertical big rig real estate on the front of a vehicle. Like, if, I, I want to look at this car and be like, "This is the German Kenworth." Like, that's that's what I'm thinking. Um, I mean, it's it's even worse when you think about front plates. I know not every market has front plates. Like, for example, where you live, you don't have front plates, but. Uh, the models I do, I, I drove, did have front, front plates, and they're they're tacked right in the middle of the this grill, and they look so goofy. I think uh, it looks like buck teeth. Um, <laughs> like it really does not look very attractive. I like how you were getting you were getting all on me for like talking about these mini fender flares, and you've already used the term buck teeth to describe this car <laughs> within like the first ninety seconds of talking yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Fine. I mean, that's not. I'm trying to be fair here because you I certainly sound that- fair. I will say that that element of the design is the is the worst because the rest of the exterior of the car looks pretty good. If you look at it without seeing the grill, you'll think you'll think you're looking at a shrunken eight series, and I think that looks pretty a shrunken eight series that doesn't look like a Mustang, and I think that looks pretty good. Wow, I, I I'm sure they used exactly that phrasing in the de- the design meeting. <laughs> like, where do we need well, to take the four series next? Hear me out. Have you heard of this thing called the Mustang? Well, not quite that. <laughs> And closer to an 8 Series, yeah. Yeah, and then light bulbs went on all across the room, and bam, giant front grill. 
Does it have a skid plate to go with that grill? <laughs> no, not at all. What's the um, overhang like on that? Like, does it really protrude or? No, it's not that bad. Okay. I, I don't think so. Um, I will also say that the design now looks so dramatically different from the 3 Series, um, which this thing is so closely related to. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Before, you could look at a 4 Series, especially the Grand Coupe, which have four doors, and say, what is that, a 3 Series? And then somebody would get all like uppity and be like, no, sir, it's a 4 Series. Get your names right. But now it looks really... um, it looks really different, and I think that's that's good. That's an important, good thing that they've done. Uh, so are we going to get a Grand Coupe version of this car, do you think? I imagine so. Uh, if BMW likes to sell like cars, that's what they do. Um, they just jam a bajillion versions of the same car down our throats. So how did, how did this drive? How did this stick in your throat? Okay. Uh, there's a lot to talk about with the way it drives. First of all, um, we're, we're going to consider it a second generation product. Um, the the first generation was the last generation four series, but we've always known the BMW three series coupe to be um, pretty fun, a, a really fun car to drive in the past. And now we're getting something that's not as engaging. And I wonder if they're just trying to save that really raw performance oriented or driver centric vehicle in the M four. And that's my impression of it. Well, I, 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 don't, I don't think buyers care. I'm going to be honest. I don't think people, okay. the most people who buy a 4 Series Coupe care about the driving experience. Care, care anymore. Okay. Then they're going to really like what this 4 Series has to offer because it has this 3-liter twin-turbo six-cylinder under the hood. It makes 387 horsepower and 368 pound-feet of torque. It also has one of those 48-volt electrical systems and, a, and an 11-horsepower boost. So it doesn't feel as laggy as some other turbocharged engines. However, this car weighs almost 4,000 pounds. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of weight for uh, a car making under 400 horsepower. So I was really worried that this car would not feel very um, fast, but I was very, very, very wrong. Um, it hits zero to 60 in about four seconds. That's ridiculous. Uh, Oh, I know. You know, it's 500. It weighs 500. It's within 500 pounds of my Jeep. <laughs> That's crazy. And my Jeep is not a sporty vehicle. <laughs> so obviously that has a lot to do with the standard all-wheel drive system in the M440. But it is it is incredibly fast. So that's something that people will, like you said, I'm not sure the buyers will really care about, oh, does it have, you know, steering feedback? Does it feel really stiff and agile? Can I take it to the track and have a great time? Um, this car is fast. It'll, it'll get you through a stop sign. It'll get you where you need to go. It'll get you than, through a stop sign? What does that through mean? A stop, through, a, through an intersection. Sorry, a okay. red, a green light. I was like, if Sammy's really branching out into the murdering pedestrians side <laughs> oh, of the, no. the podcast. It'll get you through that stop sign and where you need to go. In a very speedy way. Yeah, I it was... weighs as much as a Dodge Challenger. And those can be pretty fast. Not four seconds. But I not... mean, yeah, but Challengers are not what we consider a sporty car. They're a muscle car, you know? Right. So is that where we are now with this? Is, is this a full-on GT car that doesn't have any sporty pretensions at all? Um, it's getting there. I'll say that um, the day I had it was very um, wet and cold, which isn't ideal for these uh, Michelin Pilot Sport 4S tires. They seem to not like that kind of weather. Um, and we we 
I could still manage to get it to stick its tail out, which is good. However, the steering response is just, it's really artificial, really fake feeling. It's really like a quick rack, but you just don't get that same feeling of, of grip that you would in a really focused track driver car, uh, driver-oriented car. So, so I, you know, I'm, I keep hearing 4,000 pounds. I can't get over it. I just did a quick look. In 2017, the base 6 Series Coupe weighed 4,000 pounds. That's so, insane. So that's where we are now. We've, we've pushed the 4 Series to 6 Series dimensions. And the 6 Series was a hefty car. It was mean, a hefty car. Everything about it. But now, like I said, but you've got the speed to go up with it, right? Yeah, but we're not really talking about We mentioned earlier that straight line acceleration doesn't Isn't really every- mean what it used to. Right. And I was going to say that design also is not the only – it can't overshadow a whole car for what it is. So I will say that the, the 4 Series, if you can get over that grill, um, pretty fast and enjoyable car – but just don't expect it to be a sort of uh, as engaging and as nimble feeling as the outgoing models or the past BMW uh, coupes. Okay. It's also kind of expensive. This model I drove was, um, let me see the U.S. pricing. I had it just a moment ago. It starts at um, 58500 So 13000 more than that many. Yes, <laughs> uh, and that does not include a one thousand dollar destination fee. So, yeah, that, uh, I mean that's you know I mean I don't remember what the six series cost at, at the base when it went off the market, but I'm assuming it was within ten grand of that. Yeah, easily. So yeah. the that brings up the fact that you bring up the um, six series and the and, and that I brought up the price. Let's me talk about the one thing that I was really not impressed with in the in the four series was the interior. And um, anyone who's been in the new three series will probably say that the interior is, is improved from the last generation products, but it just doesn't feel special or fancy. It actually feels closer to like the two series than it does a six, seven, or eight series. And that really is not that really is not a positive thing for BMW to be feeling in their vehicles. No, certainly especially not. with a especially as I mentioned, this four series is looking more like an eight series. It just doesn't feel like one on in on the inside. The buttons just feel plastic and kind of cheap. Um the materials could have been the, the materials and, and like leather layout uh, or sorry, the, the tans that they use for the leather could be a little bit more aggressive. They could have done anything to spruce up the interior, differentiate it from the three series, make it feel a little bit more special. And I don't think they did that. So why, why do you think that is this, why the cost cutting, I guess is what I'm asking. Um, that's a very good question. They probably want to make money. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, do you think going up against Mercedes and Genesis, do you think that the other brands in this space are going to do the same kind of, let's say fair attitude towards interior design. I find that hard to believe. I I no. think BMW might be the only, they might be going it alone here. So, well, first of all, I want to make sure I don't sound crazy. You've been in a three series and the interior is nothing worth getting excited about. No, it's fine. I, I do think that the C-Class has a far more refined and classier interior um, than the, than the three series. But the driving dynamics are not nearly as aggressive or, or, or exciting as what the BMW has. So maybe this is something about sticking to their, to their uh, roots, focusing on the driving 
feel. Even Except you just less, mentioned that the 4 yes. Series doesn't offer that driving feel. Doesn't offer as much driving feel as it used to. Okay. So I think they're just trying to balance their sort of, um, I don't know, brand legacy here. I don't know. I really don't know. I wish I had a really good answer for this. I don't. Um, but I really did wish that it had the interior because you and I have raved about top trim level BMWs interiors, the X seven and X five. We've both said amazing bench, almost benchmark setting interiors, the eight series. We rave about that car all the time. How come none of that yet has made it into the three and the four series? I, it almost feels like they don't have to try. So they're not. Yeah. You they've know? set the standard so long ago with that segment that they don't even care anymore. So it's okay to do a good enough job. It's it's not necessary to impress anymore once you're in the cabin. Once you're in the yeah. cabin, you've already signed that lease. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was my experience with that. And then I want to add that I also got to take this Alpina XB7 onto the track. And uh, that was a really weird experience. This is a very large, it's an X7 with more power, more luxury. For whoever thought that the X7 M drive, whatever it was called, X drive M50, M50, I think it's called. Yes. Whoever thought that wasn't good enough, the um, Alpina is there for them. And I was surprised to say that the car responded on the track. However, it felt absolutely comical to be doing this in a car that large. I felt like I was in a movie where I was shuttling like a very important, like a an executive or some sort of like super, I don't know, world leader. And there was like an assassination plot against them. And I had to like dodge everyone. I had to drive like hold on back there and like hit this corner over here and over there. And, and you know what? The car really responded to that, uh, that much enthusiasm, but I can't imagine the brakes or the transmission holding up to that kind of effort um, to, for multiple laps. You know, Sammy, I have that same dream every night. <laughs> Who's in the back seat? Tell it me. changes. Oh, it changes. Sometimes. Really? Yeah. Sometimes it's Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's uh, former Canadian prime minister, Kim Campbell. Um, yes. Sometimes, Sometimes it's Jimmy Carter, mm-hmm. uh, but not like President Jimmy Carter. Like, <laughs> just no, like current guy. day, very old and wrinkly Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and you're like, hold on, please, sir. And I'm like, Jimmy, who would want to kill you? And he's like, we don't have enough time to go through the list. <laughs> it gets intense. It's an intense dream. Do you wake up? Do you, when do you wake up? Like when I wake up reach- just before we clear the drawbridge. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. Okay, good. So I'm glad, you know, if you had next, you're going to have the X, the Alpina XB7 in, in your dream. It reminds me a lot of the movie The Transporter in, in that regard, yes, right? Yes, remember like, when he was driving the giant SUVs? I remember. <laughs> yeah, he didn't drive giant SUVs. But I think that if he, if he did, the Alpina XB7 would be, the good, would be a good fit there. Well, too bad Audi congr- contractually eliminated that as a possibility yeah. <laughs> yeah, from the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I've been chatting a lot about these BMWs, so I haven't given you a chance to talk about what you've driven. Can you bring us all back down to earth with the um, sedan that you drove this Sammy, week? Sammy, I can not only bring you back down to earth, I can bring you back down to your earth dreams. Because, that means we've got a Honda for sure. Yeah, I drove a, uh, a Honda Clarity plug-in hybrid. And I have to say, this is the first time I've ever driven a Clarity. Uh, there were not often in the fleets here. And I can understand why it's a very niche vehicle. Up until 2021, you could get an EV, you could get a plug-in, and you could get a hydrogen-powered version 
of the Clarity. But I think starting next year, it's just going to be hybrid and um, hydrogen. And I think hydrogen is super limited in terms of market. So pretty much if you want to drive a Clarity, you're going to be driving the plug-in hybrid, which is what I had. And uh, first things first, I want to get out of the way. I'm going to say something negative about the car before I talk about what I like about it. Negative, Sammy, this car is ugly. (laughs) And I don't often say that on the podcast. They took the remainder um, cafeteria tray from the Mini and they covered the rear wheel with it. It is – it had to have been a deliberate effort to make this car look how it does because (laughs) – Honda's has a lot of very busy designs of the over the last five years, let's say. But I wouldn't go and say their cars are ugly. It's not a word I like to use. But this car, this car is obtuse. This car is in your face with how it looks, and it is not handsome from any angle. And I just wanted to say that. Um, but I will segue from talking about just how terrible the clarity looks and unnecessarily terrible at that to say that it is actually a really good sedan to drive on a daily basis i will echo that uh that statement it drives way better than it first it drives way better than it looks which would be (laughs) i mean it it would have it would be almost impossible to drive worse than it looks (laughs) yes um but the way honda has caught up and maybe even um maybe even surpassed some rivals in terms of hybrid technology or hybrid implementation in their vehicles is really impressive. Yeah, it's honestly, there's so much about this car that's really cool. Uh, When I picked it up, so the interface for driving any hybrid plug-in car is always a little complicated because it's going to be switching between modes all the time or it's not going to be switching at all. And the way it lets you know varies from vehicle to vehicle. So this car has a uh, it has an EV mode, and as soon as you start it, as long as you're in something called Econ, which is like I guess it it stands it's easy to figure out what Econ stands for. Are you sure the economy? Yeah, it's economy mode. As long as you're in that, the car is going to try and stay in battery mode indefinitely. What if, hold on, economy is in regards to fuel economy. Right? Yes. What did you okay. think not, it meant? Not just like constantly yelling like stocks at you. Or no, like it's not like it's not like you pull stuff. up at the drive-through <laughs> and you get a deal. It's like, are you in economy mode? Well, yeah. guess what? <laughs> here's a, here's your coupon. Um, no, it's it it, it 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 dials back vehicle systems. So a lot of the time, what econ modes will do is uh, they'll take the. Um, they usually put a nice little cute flower on your dashboard. Yeah, there's a flower sure. or an icon <laughs> or something like that. But it it also has a an effect on vehicle systems that you might not think about. Like it'll deaden the throttle response so that you can't accelerate as quickly uh, unless you really floor it, in which case it will usually turn off e- econ mode. It'll also dial back air conditioning and heating systems so that in, in a battery-powered car, there's not as much waste heat. So it, it normally, I mean – in a gas-powered car, your air conditioning is using power. So when you put on Econ, it'll dial back the air conditioning compressor. But in a battery-powered car, it's going to dial back everything related to climate control because it has to use electricity to run the blower. It has to pull heat from the battery pack, all that fun stuff. So as long as you stay in that, it will stay in EV indefinitely. And when I say indefinitely, I mean up until about 45 miles an hour, you okay. can stay in EV and not have the 1.5-liter gas engine kick on. And that's really impressive. And it's completely seamless like i had a hard time telling i was in ev mode because 
there was just nothing. It, it didn't feel like it was less responsive than a, a traditional plug-in hybrid would be or, or a hybrid. It didn't feel like there was any kind of whine from the electric motor. It just felt like I was driving, and, and I was impressed by that. Um, 45 miles per hour, though, for the uh, pure electric set, the pure electric mode. I feel like there are some other um, hybrids that can go a little bit more. Uh, hold on. You drove the regular hybrid or the plug-in hybrid? the plug-in hybrid okay yeah i think that there have there have been other phevs that can go further or faster No, I, I think that this car could too okay but i'm just talking about the experiences that i had with it i wasn't driving it specifically to eke out as much range as i could uh you can get i think 47 miles out of a single charge but uh, I was just driving it normally. It was also somewhat cold, so I had the heated seats on. It's fall weather. And I, that was that was right around where you're going to notice the gas engine come on. And you do notice the gas engine. It's not super smooth. I mean, this is still – it's mm-hmm. positioned as an affordable car even though the price is – it's like 33000 So it's not hugely expensive. It's not a, a, an entry-level car. But you get a kind of a balance between comfort and um, all the battery systems and electric stuff that you're paying for with that money. Uh, but it has 181 horsepower from the electric motor alone. And like once the gas motor is wow. going, you're up to about 212 horsepower. And the gas motor, from how I understand it, it really doesn't power the wheels very much. It can, but it's mostly just serving as a generator. So I'm not sure we actually talked about this, but a few weeks ago I had the RAV4 – sorry, the Camry Hybrid and the Accord Hybrid. And my ending uh, – my conclusion was that the Accord Hybrid is – definitely better than the uh camry hybrid and it's showing again just how much and how seriously honda is taking the hybrid or their electrification um initiatives here i really did not expect them to be at this level um considering that toyota has sold so many hybrids over the year over the years well you know i i have to say this this clarity i never put gas in it sammy i mean all of my driving all of my driving was on the the hybrid battery i mean the the engine came on a couple of times yeah but very very rarely so it didn't actually use any gas and it charges fairly quickly 12 hours on on household current but only two and a half hours with a 240 240 volt source and the range felt very realistic in terms of matching the 48 miles that honda advertises so i I really really appreciate that when you have um an electric range um, and it gives you this insanely lofty number, and then you start, you know, doing anything that normal people would do in their car, like turn on the air conditioning or start coupon cutting or whatever the heck that you do in your in your econ mode car. There, um, then that range suddenly like diminishes completely, and suddenly what you had planned to to, to or the distance that you planned to travel with that um, with that range changes completely, right? Yeah, and and. Uh... <sighs> I never really noticed the – it took a lot for the battery range um, display to drop down. <laughs> so it, I really didn't feel like I was up against a hard number while I was driving. I was able to just drive and stay relaxed, although I was suspicious of it because it wasn't dropping down. I kept wondering if like something was wrong. <laughs> but uh, no, it's just it just happens to be very efficient. I mean there's some things about the car I didn't like. Um, it has the the interface entirely, like the buttons everywhere, the the gear selector. There's no volume button for the, for the stereo system. There's a slide, there's like a touch sensitive pad thing slider, I guess you could call it on the, just beside the touch screen. I don't like that. It's unnecessary and it's hard to use when you're driving. Um, I also don't like Honda lane watch. Oh yeah. They're like, uh. Their, that's their impression of a blind spot monitoring. Yeah, system, so right? if you're not if you're not familiar with it, if you turn your right 
turn signal on, it changes the display on the infotainment screen to show a, a, vis- a video feed from the right side of the car. Now, this is problematic for a bunch of reasons. I'm going to list three of them. Okay. The first is it's distracting. It makes yeah. you look away from the road and onto a screen that's illuminated. And if you're doing this at night, it's going to mess with your night vision. Mm-hmm. Second, if you're doing this at night, that screen is useless. You can't see anything there. It's like it's like a ghostly... It's, I guess, you know, if they start doing found, found footage horror movies using doorbell cameras, I yeah. think that they, this is exactly what the Haunted Lane watches it looks like. Um, yeah. And then third, it, if I want to change the stereo or something because there's no volume button or right. any track change buttons, you're going to have to get rid of that video. It, 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 it takes over the whole screen. It took me a while to figure out that there's a button on the turnstock where you can turn it off. But you can if you hit that, you have to do it every single time. Right. There's no way to disable it. I think there might be a way in the menu system to do it, but um, you can turn it on and off with this little button. So that was really, really annoying. And also, I, Sammy, yes. while we're talking about the seek button, oh, we, yeah. had, we had a listener write in, Dags, <laughs> and he's, he, they said the seek button for them is useful on long road trips because if you want to listen to local sports – uh, it's mostly on. There's still a ton of that on terrestrial radio, and when the signal mm-hmm. gets weak, they want a way to find the next best feed. You know, if like you're on a, a station that has multi multiple franchises, and you want to yep. follow the game, that's how you do it, and that's the easiest way to do it. So there we go. We have a use case for the seek button that I think is stronger than your use case. I I think you're right there. Um, first of all, I also love the uh, the concept of you changing lanes and then also being like, while I'm changing lanes, I might as well just start changing the, no, the no, no. radio setting. You're missing it, out. You're, you're, you're sitting right. at a red light with the yeah. right turn signal on. Oh, yes. That's annoying. Yeah. Uh, additionally, or your your passenger can be like uh, trying to do something. And or when your you passenger start... keeps reaching over and turning it on. <laughs> yeah. What is that about, Sam? It also promotes poor ha- poor habits because you're not looking at the mirror anymore. You're looking at that screen. Totally, you're not. It's not just that you're not looking at the mirror. You're not looking at the road. <laughs> yeah. And a mirror on the side of the car is a line of sight technology that still keeps your head up, and that's important. Mm-hmm. Those mirrors aren't there by accident. You know, they they could have put them Oof. anywhere, but they're, yeah. they're in your line of sight so you can use them. This technology, any technology that demands your attention away from the task of driving, is a failed technology, and it is by definition dangerous to look away from the road absolutely um ben did you talk about the pricing of this car and what it directly competes with i did it's it's thirty three thousand. we talked about that a little earlier uh in terms of direct competitors that's a really good question i don't know i don't i mean (laughs) ionic but is the ionic kind of small in comparison right yes and it looks way better i mean it's really hard I don't understand why Honda made this car look the way it does because so much of it is good. It drives so nice. And then if you were in a showroom and someone pointed it out and it's beside like an Accord, which is a good looking car. Relatively good looking. Yes. yes. You would be hard pressed to pull the trigger on a, on a clarity. Yeah, for sure. Uh, You'd really have to buy into the electrification um, element there. Yeah, it's 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 just not for casual buyers, I guess. It's also I wanted to mention a couple other things about the the drivetrain just before we moved on from it. But um, those drive modes is a sport mode, which I used a little bit. wasn't really into it because it's not really a handling kind of car, so I wasn't driving it fast. Um, (laughs) It it has another mode called HW that if you're driving on the highway and you want to charge the battery for use later around town, you can push that and it'll do that for you. It's called what? HW mode. It's a different what drive that, mode. What does that mean? Highway, Sammy. Or HV, sorry. Oh, okay. I, I, don't, know how, I, don't, know what, I don't know what HV means. High voltage? <laughs> hybrid, hybrid vehicle mode. Anyway, it, it'll, it'll, it will... Um, 
what was I going to say? It will charge up the the battery the, for the you. Mo- yeah. I, that's always seemed weird to me because it's like if you're going to use gas, you're going to use gas. Doesn't matter where you're using it. But some people like that. But uh, I also final thing I wanted to mention about the drivetrain is you can drive up to about 75 miles an hour. Some other people that I've read about have been able to do that with the car. Uh, I I think probably it was the temperatures I was driving it at that made that oh, okay. harder to do. Okay, cool. Um, one of my, I, I do think um, Honda is notorious now for like these uh, acronyms and like shortening of words, and I think they need to get caught. On, they need to get called off on called on this because it. I think it's getting it's getting confusing or frustrating to be like Econ and HV and all these other you know um, acronyms that they keep using in their cars. Will... Yeah, I, I would have liked a straight up EV button. That's yeah. straightforward, and then I know. You know, yeah. I did like that it had an EV light on the dash as soon as you turn on the vehicle to let you know that it's on, you're in EV mode and you're going to drive on battery only. So that's cool. But uh, yeah, it's it's all, overall, it's a good car. As long um, as you don't have to look at it. As long as you don't have to look at it. And uh, as long as you don't, I mean, if you're just, if you want a commuter car that's comfortable, I mean, it's hard to argue against this car. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so... I think that's it for our cars this week, but we did have some notes from from readers. Um, yeah, we had we had a bunch of people write in. Uh, one, we actually had some people um, contact us about the movie cars that are real or are they fake uh, that we talked about on the last episode. Specifically, we had uh, Jude write in to ask about Ford versus Ferrari, Sammy. Ooh, you remember uh, that movie came out last year. And that was Close about to winning an, uh, an Oscar, if I remember correctly, right? Well, it was about the the Ford's efforts at Le Mans to beat Ferrari, and there's a ton of old cars in that movie. And we did some research on that. It, it, you know, that's a good question because it's one that we probably should have included in our conversation. But uh, it, the long story short is almost all of the vehicles that you see driving are fake because they're multi-million dollar race cars and they didn't want to put them in danger on a racetrack. So they contacted a company called Superformance um, and Superformance builds a lot of replicas of Cobras and Shelbys and and GT40s. So they had a bunch of those built. They used them for the movie. Um, They also built, I want to say, it's it's hard to tell because according to some reports, they used 400 cars for the movie. And of those, 50 were race cars. So, a lot of the cars they sourced were like period cars in the background. Like even in, in some of the promo shots, these are cars that are parked on the sides of the street. Those cars were real. But um, the real – so the, interesting because they could have faked that so easily, right? Like they could have done some Jurassic Park work and just put fake cars in the background, right? I, I guess so. I never even really thought about that. I mean it's not like the old cars are dinosaurs that are <laughs> impossible to find. But I it's mean, it's like – but I guess, you know, for the actors and for everyone else, they're building an environment, like an environment, uh, for an atmosphere for them to to get used to. Yeah. So I, one thing I can't find out about the movie is whether they had any of the actual cars, the originals for close up shots and stuff. Um, but it, I would it really looks like almost all of them were replicas. But they, they apparently the ones that they had built just for the film were more than what you would get from like let's say you're someone who wants to buy. Uh, I hesitate to call them kit cars because Superformance isn't really a kit car shop. But you know how there's a lot of modernized versions of these cars where they look old, but inside they're they're much more like, creature more creature comforts, they're driver friendly kind of thing. I think for the movie, Sammy, they, you know, took a bunch of pictures of as many details as they could of the originals and then put all of that detail into the replicas. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that's fair. And, and when, 
Well, when, and, and there's another movie I wanted to mention when we were talking about Ford versus Ferrari. There's another movie called Rush that came out, I want to say 2013 oh, or 2014. Yeah. yeah, so that was about Nicky Lauda and um, uh, James Hunt in Formula One in the 70s. And that movie took an interesting approach where they had a bunch of original race cars where they went to tracks. Uh, they, they, mostly, they mostly used two different tracks for the whole movie. Um, I want to say one of them was Brands Hatch. Um, and the other one might have been the Nürburgring. I'm not sure. But uh, they they ended up, yeah. So as Brands Hatch and Nürburgring stood in for all of the original tracks they did, they would film corners from different angles to make them look like Fuji or Monza. And then they would reconfigure the pits to do the same kind of thing. But they, That's they, so much work. I it, guess it's even more expensive to go to the places. Of yeah, and a lot of those places <laughs> don't look now how they did back then either. So they would have had to have done some type of cosplay at that point as well. Um, but uh, they they found groups of um, vintage racers who still owned F1 cars, and they got as much footage as they could of those cars in motion, or they used those cars in the background or for close-ups. And then for really intense action shots, they built replicas because you can't put, again, you can't put multi-million dollar cars in danger like that. And also, some of the cars were going really, really fast, like close to 200 miles an hour for some of the shots, and you don't want to risk that um, on, on a film set with an original car. Yeah, of course. That is really fast. Again, I think it's funny because we're used to seeing so much CGI and um, and film tricks to be able to make um, cars look faster than they are or spe- more special than they are. But for them to, to be putting that kind of speed um, in practical elements and practical situations is pretty cool. Uh, we also have it. Can I can I go to our other um, listener questions? Yes, for sure. Okay, I got we got an email from a Scott uh, who just found the, the podcast fun, but wanted our take on the on his specific car, a 2017 Fiat 500 Abarth. Um, he was really surprised that we hadn't um, said anything about it, and that I agree that is kind of surprising because I've driven this car. Um, I can't remember what year, but I've driven a 500 Abarth uh, often enough in my career, and it is a car that that brings out a lot of emotion, a lot of things that can be said about it. What about you, Ben? I think that, that my favorite part of the Abarth is the, um, what's, what's, what's our new catchphrase, Sammy? The performance sound pleasure thing? Yeah, the performance sound pleasure thing is the best aspect of the Abarth, uh, particularly if you get the, the fake convertible. I don't know what you would call it. It's not a Targa. It's not a the, convertible. The can opener? The one that has the very the retractable cloth roof, but it still yeah. has the sides. So when, when you open that up and you hear the exhaust, because there's no muffler, I believe, in an Abarth, right? Like, it's just it's straight pipes, from what I understand, because it's a very, very short exhaust system, a very small car. It sounds really good. Um, and it's raucous, and it's a kind of car you can drive on the street at a higher limit than you normally would because it's not super fast, but it's fast enough to be fun, and it's fast enough to be fun and not get you into trouble. So I think that that's what I like the most about the Abarth. Uh, I, you know, I'm not a huge front wheel drive guy, so I uh, front wheel drive performance is not my forte. Uh, I also, I would Scott, I would love to hear about what your reliability experiences have been like with the Fiat because. Mm-hmm ownership stories are all over the place when I, when I talk to people who have these cars. Um, but that's kind of my impression of it. Uh, it's, it's an inexpensive car to get into these days. If you're buying a used yeah. one, um, I, I'm actually, I really do like this car. I didn't get a chance to say, I really like this car. Um, even if it is front wheel drive, I think it's a very fun car to drive around on the street. Uh, if you get the, I, I think it's manual only. So, uh, and, and the manual transmission is a little bit 
like loose, but it has so much personality and character from the noise to that um, engagement, that feel of the transmission. And, and you know, um, and you know what? Unlike the Mini GP that we talked about today, this car has a manual transmission. Exactly. So that's that counts for a lot. Uh, I really do like this car, and there were moments where I was thinking of getting one myself uh, because they are quite affordable now. Uh, on the used market. But again, as Ben said, I'm really curious to see what your take has been reliability-wise and um, because it, there's been mixed mixed reception on that. You know, the, the, the Abarth is a fun car. I would say, though, if I was going to get a Fiat 500, it would be the E. Oh, yeah. Because I that mean, is an, also a fun car. It's an unusual car. And they're super, super inexpensive these days, like sub $10,000 for a decent amount of range in an electric car. I think it's like 250 or 300 pound feet of torque or some crazy torque number. Um, I I'll, I think there's a crazy amount of torque in that. And that's, as you mentioned, super affordable. Um, and unlike, I think, a, a, an, an Abarth version of the car, there's fewer moving parts in an electric motor. Uh, an electric powered car, so it might be a little bit more reliable. So that's uh, that. That wraps things up for this week. Um, if you want to hear past episodes, if you want to hear the episodes that caused our listeners to ask us these questions, you can do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. We have all of our old episodes there. There's also links to us on pretty much every major podcasting network or podcatcher service. You can find us on iTunes, uh, Google. It's, it's not Google Play Music anymore. I think it's Google Podcasts. We're on the YouTube podcast now. We're on Amazon's <laughs> podcast, um, Spotify, Spotify. Uh, yeah, Everywhere. So you can find us all there. Uh, Sammy, if people want to get in touch, what's the best way they can do that? So there is a contact form on the website. You just go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Uh, you can also email us the old-fashioned way. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Uh, you can also reach out to Ben or I on social media. You can find me on Twitter or as Ben calls it, the cesspool that is Twitter. Um, you can find me. I'm at Sammy underscore ha like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram where there's lots of filters and everyone's being cute and friendly. He's at Hunting Benjamin. Hashtag unfiltered. Next week, I will be talking about the 2020 Honda Civic Si, Sammy. Very cool. Um, I have uh, a couple of cars I can talk about next week. So I'll be uh, trying to figure out which one I'm ready to talk about with you. Well, that's it very be vague. The, it can either be the Nissan Rogue or the brand new Genesis GV80. So uh, if you are listening and you want Sammy to narrow his options down, uh, write to us, message us, let us know which of those cars you want to hear about next week. And <laughs> thank right. you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And bye. <laughs>